I remember walking outside and I just sat there and I was reading the test and it said I was pregnant. My heart just dropped. I was just like so scared and so much fear came in me. Like I was just like, what's gonna happen now? Everything in my life has changed. It doesn't matter what route I take, everything has changed now. I knew that was rock bottom because I was homeless. I was a heroin addict. I was in a state funded rehab and now I'm pregnant and I don't really know the father. I was so incredibly broken, just crying and weeping. All I remember, all I could do at that moment, I just cried out to God and I looked up into the sky and I said, God, please help me. I can't do this any longer. And he answered me and he said, come with me and you will never have to go back to this life again. I was born and raised in California. Um, I was born into a Christian home with very loving parents. They um, they provided everything for me and my siblings. They uh, it was a very stable home and um, Jesus and God and Bible stories that was very very prominent in my home. And we were always going to church. That was every Sunday going to church, uh, reading the Bible and. They provided a really, really healthy environment for me and my siblings. They put us into sports. I played volleyball in high school, uh, Girl Scouts. We went on many vacations. Just a really, really blessed life. And when I was probably about 12 to 13 years old, I just I started feeling some resentment to Christianity, to the faith, and. Um, not really understanding what it was about, why people just kept talking about God, the worship songs, just kind of standing there like, you know, what is, you know, not understanding it at all. And I started uh, resisting it. I was like, I don't know if I like this. I don't know if I like being forced to, to go here to church every Sunday. During that time, a lot of depression started and I started feeling extremely depressed, like just very low and that there was no purpose for me in life. I had low self-esteem, um, bad body image. It just came on and it came on pretty hard and I started just hating myself and hating life in general. Did you feel comfortable with sharing that with like your, your parents or anybody? Yes, I did. Um, it was pretty obvious, so they could they could see that there was something wrong with me, and so they put me into counseling to speak to a counselor, and I was diagnosed with depression. Mm. It was just so obvious because I just never smiled, I never laughed, I was very negative and down all the time. And so when I was about 14 or 15, it just, it increased. And like, I got this spirit of rebellion and everything that like authority, teachers, my parents, they told me I, ha I had to do this. I couldn't do that. It was just like, I wanted to act out and do that, do what I wasn't told to do. Anything that my flesh wanted to do, I wanted to do that. And I realized that with Christianity, there was so many, there were so many rules in a sense, like we couldn't drink, smoke, cuss, um, hook up with people. And nothing about the Christian faith like seemed attractive to me. Mm. It was the world that I wanted to live in. And um, when I was in high school, I started just, I, I started smoking cigarettes. It started with cigarettes, ditching class. 
past smoking cigarettes. Then I started smoking weed and just going and hanging out with people and people my parents didn't want me to hang out with. And then I started drinking as well. And um, I had some issues with teachers and being suspended from school. So it was really hard for my parents and they knew that I was just going, I was just going against everything they were saying and I wasn't listening. I was very disrespectful. And um, we decided that I would go and live with my uncle when I was a junior in high school. And um, I would then move to Orange County. And I decided I wanted to do that. And so I ended up moving to Orange County to live with my uncle. And I finished out high school there. It was good. Um, I still was smoking cigarettes and I kind of started drinking heavily, still dealing with that depression. But I just knew that like doing any kind of substance or anything, it took it away. And it was kind of like exciting for me. I graduated and um, at this time I had a fake ID and that fake ID enabled me to just go into any liquor store and buy anything that I wanted and it worked every time. It started creating a pretty bad habit of drinking. And when I was 18, I didn't have any desire to pursue college, like go to any college, but my parents really wanted me to, so I tried. And I went to a community college for a semester and I ended up dropping out. I still, I didn't like authority and I didn't want to be under, I just wanted, I said, I don't need school. I, I don't need this. I could just live however I wanted to. So at that time I started um, living with some people and we just basically started living for the weekend. It was just, um, we can't wait to get to Friday so we can just get dressed up, go out, go downtown, go to these clubs and bars. And that's what we live to do. I just embraced it fully. Um, it's just, it, it was the world and it was what I wanted. I was 18 and this group of friends that I was hanging out with, they said, well, let's go move to Arizona. We can get a house there. And the way that it was described to me was that Arizona is just like California, like in the parting sense, it's just a desert style. And I, they're like, we can still party out there. It's going to be, it's going to be really wild. And I said, okay, I'm down. Let's go. So we all moved out there. We lived in this house. And just two weeks later, after moving there, I got a DUI and I was underage and it was an extreme. I blew like a 0.187 and it was bad. And that was the first time I got introduced to the court system. And that's when um, I had to go to jail and just all these fees, classes, everything. And I, at that point I said, this is it, you know, nowhere's ever gonna hire me. Um, this is bad that I got a DUI at this age. My car is taken. And I got real low and I, this is when I, I started to really not care, just not care about anything, my life, anyone. And there was this guy sleeping on our couch. I started hanging out with him and he was just sleeping there because he had nowhere else to go. And it started with like, he had some pills. I remember seeing them and I was like, well, they don't look that bad. They're prescribed, you know, hospitals give them out. So I knew it was probably bad to take them without a prescription. But since they were legal in a sense, I, I said I would take them. And it was just like Xanax and Adderall and that's all it was. And then one night when um, we were all going to this house party, 
me and my roommates, we were all getting ready to go out. And so all my roommates left and it was just me in the sky. And I'll never forget, we were in, we were in our kitchen and he just, he pulled out some foil and it had some, it looked like just white, like crystal on it. And he was, he was smoking it. And he's, and he said, do you want to hit this? And I said, well, what's it going to make me feel like? And he said, it's just going to make you feel like Adderall. It's going to be like, you just took a bunch of Adderalls. You're just going to feel very awake and alive and just up. And after that description, I was just like, okay, I mean, why not? And so I took a hit and for the next 24 hours, I was just up and just just up and you just there was like sensory overload and you just felt like it was probably the best feeling of my life that's what it felt like at the time and I remember a few days later I was I was recovering and I remember going to him and I told I asked him I, I was like what was that that we smoked the other night and he said it was meth and I was just like what like I was like really and I didn't know, like, the first thing I thought of was the D.A.R.E. classes from when we were younger and how bad, like, the D.A.R.E. classes made it out to be, which it is. And I was like, wow, that's really bad. Um, but that, that high was so addicting that I didn't care. And I said, can we get more? And he said, yes. And that's when just a full-blown addiction started. For the next year of my life, I was just heavily involved in meth every single day, just smoking it day and night. I was up for weeks at a time. Not You, would, you wouldn't eat. I lost like 20 pounds. Mm. Um, you just, you start deteriorating everything in you. You just start dying on the inside. You start doing, I started doing things that I never thought I would do. Just going to casinos, hanging out with drug dealers, just just doing wild things, dangerous things, going to pharmacies, just doing anything, just and everything. And it just came on heavy and it came on quick. And a year later, I remember I was um, in my, my apartment at the time and I just looked at myself in the mirror and my face was like all picked out and I just was all sucked up. And I was just like looking at myself and I'm like, wow, you're a meth addict. Like, wow. it was, it was a huge, like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what, what has happened? You know, such a huge realization. And I remember right then and there, I picked up the phone and I called my grandma and I said, grandma, I need to get out of this place. I need to leave. I need help. And can I come with, live with you? And she said, yes. She said, yes, you can come live with me. My grandma and uncle, they came and picked me up and I moved back to California. And did your parents um, have any contact with you at this, at this mm -hmm. time? Um, yes. So during this time, my parents say when I was 18 years old, they moved overseas because they are missionaries. Mm -hmm. And so they moved to Africa and they were serving God there. And my family knew I was on drugs and they knew things were going really bad. Um, but I always told my mom and dad, just stay in Africa. Um, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to get this worked out. I'm going to get clean. Um, so they were aware of it. And all they did was just pray constantly, pray for me, pray for me to, to just come back, you know, yeah. um, to get off drugs and to come to know Jesus. And, 
Um, so they were aware of this. I moved back to California and from there I just, I remember I slept for about 14 days and I woke up in my grandma's apartment and I'll never forget just waking up and I was just like, just please tell me that was all a really bad dream. Like that didn't really happen. I wasn't on meth for the last year of my life. Um, but it was true and that was really hard and like to just accept that, you know, like what happened? Like, um, so I started smoking weed and that is how I coped with all the bad feelings, like um, all the pain and the shame that it came with. Like, I just was like, I need something. And I just started smoking weed every single day. And it was always just that hole inside my heart that I just had to keep filling, keep filling. And it was never ending, you know, just that pain. It just was always there. I was always searching for something, always. For the next few years, I moved out of my grandma's, moved in with some roommates in Huntington Beach. And the same habits kind of started coming up. We started going to the bars again, and then drinking was involved. And I wasn't in school, I was just a waitress. That came back into the picture. And then little by little, more drugs came back into the picture. We would do lines of Coke and I was like, well, it's not that bad, it's just Coke, um, as long as it's not meth. And then a little more and then ecstasy and then we're rolling and um, it just came back. It came back again, just this, um, just so I was just looking for something, you know, and I thought that I could find it in the world and um, I thought that that's how I would have joy and happiness and just by feeling it, you know? So I was probably about 20, I don't know, at this time I was like 22 and I was at my friend's house and there was these like apartments around us and we went downstairs to the, his neighbor's garage and they just racked out some lines and like in my mind I said, well, it's Coke, you know, I, I can do a line of Coke. And I did a line of it and it was meth. And so that's when I was like, it, instantly I knew it was meth. And I was like, oh man, like, and the guy knew, but he just didn't say anything. And then I was like, and then it just came back. All of it came back full force again. And then I ended up going to that man's garage all the time, just getting high, just any time of the day, any time of night, just going. And he became my meth dealer for the next few years. And I was just living, I was just living fully like how I wanted to live and just, I was really consumed by the drugs. And I remember thinking like, there's no way I'm getting off these. Like I remember looking at people and we're all just doing meth and I'm like, this is my life. Like this is where it's at. Little by little then prescription meds, I started, I started taking Oxys, Norcos, Percocets, all of them just started taking, I, and I got a heavy addiction to opioids. And then I had to start selling the the pills to like make money. And then that was my life. I was in the drug game. A situation happened and it, it was really bad. And um, I knew my boyfriend's uncle, I knew that he, he was a heroin dealer. And I, and I only ever smoked meth with him. And so I remember I called him one night and he was living out of his van. And I just said, hey, can I come and like smoke? And he said, yes. And we, and I go into his van and I ask, I'm like, can I, can I smoke heroin? And he said, he's like, he didn't want to give it to me at first, but then he ended up giving it to me. And from there, everything got darker. Everything got 
a lot darker and a lot more serious. And you just start, when you do start doing heroin, you start doing things that you never thought you would do. You start stealing and just any way to get money. And heroin, it just made you so numb on the inside. Like you're just so numb and you really don't care about anyone around you, your family. You don't care about anything but yourself and you're high and how are you gonna get high every single day? I lost the apartment that I was living in because all my money was going to drugs and I started living out of my car and it was so bad and I I called my grandma and I told them I said I need to get help and she said okay we're gonna call a rehab and so she called me one day and she said Whitney this rehab has opened and there's a bed and we need to go right now if you want to go and I said, okay, and I thought about it. I said, okay, I know what this means. I'm gonna leave this area, leave this drug life and go to this rehab. And I decided, I was like, I wanna try and get clean. And she told me that this is a Christian rehab. And I said, okay, I was like, okay, that's, you know, I was like, I don't know, like what, but all right, I'll go. And so she came and picked me up, her and my uncle, and we drove six hours north of, in California, and we went to this rehab called Teen Challenge. And at Teen Challenge, I went in there and I just started kicking. I was just withdrawing from all the drugs, just all, all the side effects, they were just fully on. I remember I just felt like so dead and I just felt like death. And I remember the ladies there, they just kept coming to my bed and they just kept saying, do you need anything? Like, what can we get you? Can we get you water? Do you need this fan right here? Do you need another blanket? And I just like, why, why do these women care? You know, why do they love me? Like, they don't even know me. And I remember sitting there and I saw about like four or five women just grouped, like there was bunk beds and they were just standing there by the bunk beds. They, they had all these tattoos and they just looked like they just came off the streets out of prison, but they were just standing there and they were just laughing and they just had all this happiness and joy and they just loved each other. And I remember looking at them and I said, I know Jesus is real because of what I was seeing in them. Jesus revealed himself to me by, by those women. And I said, there's no way they're happy and they're not on any substances they're not using. How do they have this joy, you know? Hmm. And a few days later, I was, I just remember kicking so hard and I was like, I just need to go get dope. I was like, I need to leave. I need to go get high. And Whitney, for people who do, who, who don't fully understand what you're going through, what were you feeling? If you could describe it in a little bit of more words, uh, when it came to the, um, the withdrawals, what was that like? if you could describe it. Oh yes, so um, when when you withdraw from heroin, um, it's like uh, the flu times a hundred, like you're, you're shivering, you're shaking, you're freezing, but yet you're sweating and you're sweating like repulsely and your legs get very irritable. Like you can't, you wanna keep moving your legs. Like it's like restless leg syndrome, just, they just hurt. You just are in pain 
And then you also, you have diarrhea and you're throwing up. And so, and it's, it's pretty much just any and every bad symptom that you can think of. And it's just like that every second. It's like every second your body is hurting and you're just reacting and nothing can help it or take it away but heroin. And that's why people will start to fiend and say like, I need to go get high now because you literally feel like your body's dying. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was feeling. And that's why I said, I need to go get high. I said, I can't, I can't do this for another five minutes. Like I need to go get high. Cause that's how bad it was. And so I left that rehab. And at this point, I don't know where I'm at. I'm in a, a county. I don't know. I'm in, I think I was in Santa Cruz County. And it was really bad because then I, I was now on the streets. I didn't have my car. And I was just like, okay, I need to find someone that looks like they get high and ask them for some dope. And so that's what I did. I found somebody and I said, hey, I'm kicking. I just got out of rehab. Can you please help me? And this person, we went and got heroin. And then um, from that point on, I was just sleeping outside and it started a whole journey of homelessness and the drugs were worth it. Like, I, and it blows my mind. Like, why, why would someone do that? But the high had such a stronghold on, on my life, like on any drug user's life. It's just, it, it's like you are compelled to do this. Like, it's almost like you, something's controlling you and you're forced. And, um, it's like, it's very, very hard. It's very, it's a stronghold and it's hard to get out of. And so I, then I would go into a de- I went to detox for 14 days. My dad actually flew back from Cal- or Africa and he took me to detox. I made it 14 days. I got out. I went to another rehab up in Humboldt County. So I was all the way up 12 hours north, all the way in Northern California. And I, that was another teen challenge, another Christian rehab. I went in there and same thing. I had to leave. I had to leave just a few days later because I said, I can't handle this. Like, and when I left up in Northern California, that's when things started getting really, really bad. And I was not only sleeping outside, I was sleeping in hotels. I was just stealing and just anything I can to get high, just running around with people like dangerous people and in bad situations. And um, my parents, they knew that I was sleeping outside. I mean, I told them I'm homeless right now, but I said, I always said, don't worry. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get clean. Like I always felt in me that I was going to get clean somehow. I remember being, um, I was outside with this girl. She was homeless too. And we were just, we were just stuck. We were just like, man, we really need to get some dope and we don't have any money. And um, she's told me, she said, you can come with me and, um, we can go to my friend's house and it's this guy and he'll get us high for free. And I said, really? And she said, yes. And I thought about it. I was like, okay, well, if that's the case, I want to go with you. I want to get high. Like, and so we went into this house and I remember walking in and there was just kind of, there was some, a few other girls in there and we just met with her friend and we went into his bathroom and we just started smoking and getting high. And then he, he said, why don't you come back? And I said, okay, I would like that because I just got high for free. And I was like, yeah, I'll come back. And so we left and I don't know how much later, but I did come, I went back and that's when I realized that it was more than just 
getting high for free that he was charging girls and it was prostitution. And I remember just being in that house and um, it was just so, so dark. Like I've never felt darkness like that in my life. I mean, there's just girls just shooting up, just laying there like it was just death. And um, for the next few months, that's when I started just prostituting um, because it was just a way to get drugs and that's all that's all it came down to and that's that's all I had like to do and it was it was really hard and so it got so bad in those memories and I was said I need to leave you know I need to get out of here like this is getting bad it was already bad but it just was amplified and so my dad's friend, he contacted me, this Christian guy, and he's and he said, Whitney, there's a rehab in San Francisco. Um, I can get you a Greyhound bus ticket and you can go. And I said, okay, I, I want to go. I need to go because I've never felt death like so, so the presence of so much darkness as I did in that city. And I said, I will get on the bus and go. I got on the bus, I got the Greyhound bus ticket, I got on the bus and we started traveling, we started traveling down south and the bus stopped at a McDonald's. We, everyone got out and ate and everything and I still had drugs on me so I went and was getting high in the bathroom and the bus left and it had all my stuff on it. I was just like, oh man, I walked outside and I was so angry and I was like, why is this happening to me? Like, I'm just trying to go to this rehab and now I'm stranded with nothing. I was scared and I, and so my first instinct was I need to go hitchhike a ride and catch up with that bus and get to where I'm going. And so I went um, to this Walmart and I approached this man he was older, he had gray hair, and I just walked up to him and I was just crying and I said, can you please help me? I said, I'm trying to get to this rehab and the bus just left and I, I'm stranded. I don't even know where I'm at and I don't have anything. And this man just looked down at his phone and he said, he said, yes, He's like, I'm going to help you. Let me just call my wife really quick. And I said, okay. And so we got into his truck and he started driving me down to San Francisco. And all this man could talk about was Jesus and God and ministry. I was like, why is this guy talking about Jesus again? And just being reminded of God, you know, I looked at him and I said, so, you know, God is real. And he said, yes, he said, God is real. And I said, really? And he's like, yes, I've known God for this amount of time. And, and I was just like, wow. And we just talked about God for like three hours driving down South. And that man was God's servant. And, um, he just so humbly just drove me three hours south and he drove three hours back up north. That was a six hour drive that that man just said yes. He said yes to God like that. I'll help her. Wow. And um, he dropped me off at the Oakland bus station and I got his contact information and everything and I still keep up to it with him to this day. Wow. Such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful thing. And um, when I look back on moments like that, I can see God's direct hand of protection in my life and just his love and mercy on me. I mean, that could have been anyone I got in the car with and happened to be a, a Christian man who just pointed me to Jesus. And so I went to the Oakland bus station and 
I had to stay there overnight and they said, you can't stay here. We close the dining, like the area we close at 10. And I said, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, where am I supposed to go? They said, we don't know, but you can't stay here. And so I went outside with my suitcase and I just sat outside the building and I said, I'm just going to sleep here tonight. And I remember the security guard, he said, no, he's like, you shouldn't be out here. Um, this is not safe. And I said, I don't have anywhere else to go. Like, where else am I supposed to go? And I said, I'm going to sleep here tonight. And so he left and like, this was on a big street and there was homeless people just running rampant and there was sirens, there was cops, like it was a busy street. And I started feeding for dope again. And I urge came up again in me. And like, I went, I started walking around and I went under this huge freeway. There's this huge freeway overpass and beneath it were all these tents, just all these tents of homeless people. And I was like, surely one of them would have drugs, something to get high. And so I went and I went into this random guy's tent and that night, and that was the first night and I smoked crack and he didn't have meth or heroin but I just needed something. And so I smoked crack and then I just got up, I left the tent and I went back to where, where my stuff was at. And I just sat there against the wall of this Greyhound bus station. And that whole night I just sat there and then I woke up in the morning and I just said, I can't believe that nothing touched me that night nothing harmed me how was it that i just went into a tent came out nobody asked me for anything like and i knew i felt like in that moment i felt i feel like god protected me i there's just it was a miraculous thing that nothing touched me and so i knew now looking back on it i knew god's angels were there surrounding me because there's no way that i nothing happened hmm. so i went and I finally got to this last rehab in San Francisco. And this was a big, this was a big rehab. It had men and women and um, it was huge. And so I went in there and I'm still thinking, okay, I'm just gonna try and get clean on my own. God was still kind of in my mind because I could remember the seeds that were planted and watered along the way. But I was still, I was still not fully ready to live for God. And, um, and what, why was that? Um, did you have any understanding or even looking back of mm -hmm. why you were not open to that or ready per se? I wasn't ready because to be honest, like I wasn't ready to surrender to him. Like when he calls us, he says, you have to lay down your life, pick up your cross and follow me. And that means everything. And that meant everything that meant um, cigarettes, sex, drugs, alcohol. And there was still those things I was just holding on to. I couldn't let go of them. I didn't mm -hmm. want to. And so in, in that moment, you remembered that from what you had learned when you were little? Like you, you understood that or do you just understand that now today? I understand that now today, mm -hmm. but I, I remember that I just didn't, I wasn't ready to just be fully surrendered living for God. Like that desire wasn't there yet. Mm -hmm. You know, I was hearing about it. I saw him, but it wasn't there. Mm -hmm. I made it 30 days into that rehab and that was the longest I've been in years. And at this point I'm 25 years old. And I just remember I was very excited. I was like, oh, I'm, you know, this is working. I'm getting clean. I can do this. 
And then it was about four or five weeks in and I felt that I was pregnant. And I was like, oh no, like this is really bad. Like, so somebody gave me $20 and they said, just go downtown, get a pregnancy test. And so I did. And I got the pregnancy test and I went into the Starbucks bathroom and I took it. I remember walking outside and I just sat there and I was reading the test and it said I was pregnant. And my heart just dropped. I was just like so scared and so much fear came in me. Like I was just like, what, what's going to happen now? Like this changes everything from this moment on. Everything in my life has changed. It doesn't matter what route I take. Everything has changed now. And I knew that was my rock bottom. I knew that was rock bottom because I was homeless. I was a heroin addict. I was in a state-funded rehab. And now I'm pregnant and I don't really know the father. I was so incredibly broken, just crying and weeping. All I remember, all I could do at that moment, I just cried out to God and I looked up into the sky and I said, God, please help me. I can't do this any longer. And I knew when I cried out to him, I knew I was talking to him. I knew it was just a direct conversation to him. And he answered me and he said, come with me and you will never have to go back to this life again. And I remember hearing that it was in my mind. And I just, I remember thinking, this is God calling me to come go with him. And I, and I contemplated it a few minutes. I was just like, should I do this? Like, and I, and then I said, yes, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm going to live for Jesus. And, and I stood up and I said, I'm done. Like, I'm going to, I'm just going to live for Jesus now. And from that day, everything in my life started changing. I was born again and I received the gift of, of his Holy Spirit. And I had peace. I didn't know what was going to happen next. I didn't know, I didn't know a month, five months, six months from there, what was going to happen. But I just knew somehow things were going to be okay. And so I went back to the rehab. I told them I was pregnant and they then transferred me to a maternity home. At this point, things in my life started radically changing. My eyes and my ears, I felt like I felt like I could see different. And like I went and I had this huge desire to read a Bible. So I found a Bible in the rehab. I started reading it, reading it, and I could understand what it was saying. And like, I remember reading passages of like Romans eight, where it says there's um, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I remember reading this and reading that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the father except through him. And when I heard that when I was younger, I never understood it. But now I understood that I was like, wow, he is the way. And it says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I was getting set free. I was like, wow, Jesus is going to set me free from this. And I was just undone. I was just overwhelmed when he told me my sins are forgiven. And all these, all these sins that I've committed that I was just being forgiven of them and that I experienced his love in such a great capacity and it just overwhelmed me. And I couldn't believe that the God of the universe loved me and that he wanted me and that I was forgiven. 
I, I had to tell the father of the baby, he was also in that rehab, and I told him, and he wanted me to have an abortion, he didn't want the child, and I said, I don't, I don't want to do that, and I started thinking about adoption, I started thinking about placing the baby in adoption, because I wanted the baby to have a mom and a dad, of Christian parents that knew God, I, that was so important to me for the baby to just be raised in that environment. I went and I contacted an agency in North Carolina called Christian Adoption Services. And this lady, she said, we're going to help you. Her name's Cheryl. And she said, we're going to help you. Um, and she just loved me so much through the phone. She said, we usually don't service people in North or South Carolina, but we're going to help you. And I said, really? And she said, yes. And she was just so kind and she cared about me and she didn't even know me. At that point, like Jesus is just coming full force into my, my world. And I remember I was um, with one of the girls in the room that we were sleeping in and I told her, I said, Lauren, something's happening to me. Like I'm changing. Like I have a huge desire to listen to Christian music. I don't want to hear rap or I said, something's happening to me. I said, do you believe me? And she said, yes. And I said, do you believe in God? And she said, no. And I said, really? And she said, I just don't know about that. But she said, I do believe that something's happening to you. And I was like, okay. I started praying and I just said, um, God, please place this baby in the hands of people that know you and that love you, that will just train this child in your ways and just so that he can know you. That was my biggest desire. And so the lady from the adoption agency, she called me and she said, Whitney, God has come through um, in a really big way. And I said, really? Like how? And she said, this family in North Carolina, they decided that they, they said that you can come and live with them for the rest of your pregnancy. And I said, really? Like, who are they? She just said a family in this church. And I was so grateful. And I said, really? And she said, yes. And I knew, I said, I didn't really know God at the time, but I knew that this was God's blessing. It was His grace. It was something I did not deserve, but He was gifting it to me, and I had no idea why. And I said, oh my gosh. And so I, they got me on a plane, and I remember I was five months pregnant. I was flying out of California, and I just had so much relief, and I felt like this is something's changing, you know, life's going to change, something's happening. And I was, um, so I went to, um, I went to Charlotte, North Carolina, and I just walked into this family's home and it was the most beautiful home and the most beautiful family. And I just remember thinking like, I am so undeserving of this because I, I just came from a rehab that had rats in the walls, there's feces, there was women yelling at each other, cussing, I mean, just all of it. And I walked into this Christian home that was just filled with love and just filled with like acceptance, like they didn't judge me. And all they knew was that I was a pregnant drug addict from California and they let me live with them wow. for the rest of my pregnancy. And it, I just created such sweet memories with these people and they're my family now. And they just welcome me back into their home anytime. And um, they showed me the love of Christ. And there's something different with all these Christians that were in my path. There was something different about them all. And it was this love that was in them. It's not of the world and it's of God. This family had it too. And so I, I was 
then looking through books to find adoptive parents to raise the child. And I came across this one book and they were just really like, they just look like this couple had so much joy and so much love. And, and I just remember thinking like, I want to choose them. I want them to be the parents of this child. I met them. We ended up meeting and the Holy Spirit just united us in this way of like love and just I just knew, I knew, I was like, these are the parents. And these people, um, Dana and Darren, the parents, they are the most just Jesus-loving people I've ever met. They just imitate God and everything they say and do. They're so humble. They're so generous, so loving. And like, they're like people I've never met before. And everything that has happened to me in my life, God just surpassed it with something so much greater than what I thought that's who he is. He does immeasurably more than all we can ask or think. And these people were much more than what I've ever thought that the parents would be. We went to the hospital. It's time for the delivery. Their family came, my family came, and we just circled and we just all prayed. And God's presence was just so, so thick there. And we just knew he was there with us every step of the way. The delivery happened and, um, it was such a joyous time, and yet it was still very solemn, though. It was still a very hard time. It's not easy to, you know, carry a baby for so long, nine months, and then I had to say goodbye to him. And um, that was really one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. But I knew and I trusted in God. I just placed my trust in Him, and I said, God's going to handle this. He's going to—this is all in His hands. It was still very hard. I went the next, so I left the hospital and the next 30 days was just pretty heavy grieving. And um, I remember all I had was my Bible and that's all I needed. And I just went into the word every single day. And Jesus was just talking to me and telling me just so many truths that um, that I was, I'm loved, that I'm never forsaken, that I'm his child, that he delights in me. He has good plans for me. And I just remember reading it and I never felt Jesus's comfort so, so close as it was for those 30 days. And I remember thinking if Jesus is going to stick by my side through that experience, he's never going to leave me and he's going to be with me every step of the way. And then healing started happening and I realized I could think about memories and it didn't hurt anymore. And it just didn't, I didn't have that same pain. And God just started filling me with, with good things and with joy and with peace and things I never thought I could have before. I always thought like, I need to get high, I need to get drunk in order to feel some sort of happiness. But now I've been clean for four years and I'm not on any substances. And I'm filled with the joy of the Lord and it's all I need. And, and I realized my whole life, this is all I've been looking for was that peace, that peace with God. And he, and he gave it to me and I found it. And then from there, I went, I drove to Virginia, Lynchburg, Virginia. And I was like, I'm going to live with my sister and start this new life with Christ. And, and so I started living there. And then I, I said, I'm going to apply to Liberty University. And that's a Christian university. 
I said, I'm going to try. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to try. And so I applied and um, they accepted my application. And I was like, wow, that's, that's wild. Like, I'm going to go to a Christian school. Like, okay. You know? And so I, I went in and then I thought, I said, I said, I really want to be a nurse. I want to be what those women were to me in the hospital when I delivered my baby. I want to be that to other people, just that in that intimate, vulnerable time in someone's life, you can just share love and impact them in such a huge way. And I said, I want to do that. And I applied for the nursing program. And um, it's a really hard program to get into. And I remember seeing there was one spot on the application and it said, what has God done in your life? <laughs> and I just remember thinking like, I'm going to give this my all right now. And this is going to be all or nothing. And I'm going to tell them everything, everything that's happened and just pray. And I wrote it all down. I submitted the application and I spoke with the nursing faculty and they accepted my application. They accepted me into the program. And I was just like in tears, just overwhelmed by God's grace. You know, my sins are so deep and I am not deserving to be at a Christian university in the nursing program, but that's the power of God that he has to just transform any life from darkness to light, from death to life, I've gone and I've experienced and witnessed this power. And every day I'm just, I'm so undeserving of this, of this life. And um, so I graduate next semester and I'm really, really excited about that. And every day I just praise Jesus for revealing himself to me, for changing me, for redeeming my life and just his work on the cross that means everything. And this is literally the best news that anyone could ever hear, to hear that all these things that you've ever done in your life, that you are not guilty, the gift of eternal life with Jesus. And so I'm changed. I'm changed now. Amen. Mm-hmm. Whitney, did you have an opportunity to speak with your parents about your testimony, right, about everything that has happened? And... um What's your relationship with them today? Mm. I've shared my testimony with them. They've been very, um, very in it every step of the way. And my relationship with them now is I love them. Like my whole life, like prior to Christ, I was against them. I didn't like what they stood for. It was they were standing for God. I didn't want to conform to that. That's what it was all my life before knowing Jesus. And then... When I met Jesus, I realized my parents, they were right this whole time. Mm. Everything they taught me, they were right. And so now we are just united in the spirit. We have spiritual conversations. We connect on a on a spiritual level and it's deep. And I love them. And they've been the best parents to me. And um, everything I ever did was on my own, out of my own ignorance, out of my own everything like rebellion and sin. It was all me. My parents are wonderful people, and um, it's a be- we have a beautiful relationship now. Wow. When it came, I know you said you've been off drugs. You've been for, for what, four years? Yes, four years. Glory to God. Yes. Has the devil ever tried to use that against you? Now in your walk with Jesus, has there been any temptations or any thoughts? And how how have you dealt with that, if any? There has 
been temptations and um, he will, like the enemy, will just put you down and just say, oh, you can't do this. You know, you're a drug addict. What are these people going to think about you? But the way I've combated that is with the word of God. And when you read that God sees you with his righteousness, that surpasses anything that the enemy can tell you that you're not worthy, that um, you're dirty, that no one's ever going to like you. Um, all those lies, when the moment you open God's word and it says, I've redeemed you, I've called you by name, you are mine, I delight in you, like you know that your worth, when you find your worth in Christ, you know it, and you can actually then walk in confidence, not be swayed by the ways of the enemy. There has been temptation, but I honestly can say now that I would never go back to drugs after I taste the goodness of God. There's nothing in me that's like, I want to go back and get high. I don't want to, I don't want to suppress what I'm feeling now every single day. Mm. I'm filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit and I would not want to ruin that with getting high or getting drunk. Mm. It's not worth it. Come on. How's your relationship with your son now and, and the family that took him in? I think it, it can be a little bit hard for people to understand that situation because it's not a common situation that we hear of, mm. right? It's either oh, yes. abortion or people have the child and they just kind of struggle through and just trust, right? Yes. Um, but for you, you kind of went this different route of actually finding a family and the Lord helping you find a family that could take in uh, the child. And so how's your relationship with him today mm. and the family? Yes. So my son, he is going to be four years old and his name's Maverick. The relationship I have with them is so beautiful and so united and it's an open adoption. And so I see him every few months. Um, I speak with Dana and Darren, the parents, at almost every week. We're always messaging each other, encouraging each other. Um, we know that God has been a part of our story and um, we're always looking for ways to glorify him. And it's really a matter of trusting in God through it all, through the whole process. If all of our eyes are fixed on God, it's just smooth and it just flows. And there's no um, jealousy, there's no anger, there's no resentment, but just love. And that is what holds us together is just that love and knowing that it's a beautiful thing. And I know that my baby was never really mine. It was always before the foundation of the world. It was for Dana and Darren. That that was their kid. And so I, I realized that. And um, it was, was all part of God's plan from the beginning. Wow. Mm -hmm. Whitney, who is Jesus to you? There's so many words that I could use to describe Jesus. Um, he's... He's my savior, my redeemer, my healer. He's who gave me life. He's who loved me enough to take me from darkness and just place him in his light. He's full of mercy towards people, towards me, and he's my everything. And I'm here just to live for him and to glorify his name here on earth until I see him in heaven. When I met Jesus, I... I met, I knew that I have purpose now. This life, I was just kind of wandering. I was lost, you know, in the world. And when I met him, I was like, I'm safe. I'm found. 
I'm his. Like, I know who I am. All before that, I didn't know who I was, you know, and now I do. And um, he's everything to me. He's who I live for. Mm-hmm. Whitney, for anybody who is going through what you are what what you had gone through when it came to addiction, mm-hmm. when it came to relapsing, um, what is a word of encouragement that you can give to that person that is currently in that situation? Hmm. I would say that do not lose hope as hard and as much as you think that there's no way out of this, that you're going to be struggling with this for the next years of your life. Um, I'm here to testify that there is freedom. There's freedom from it all. And there you could actually live a life of joy without any use of substances. Like that actually is possible. Um, for me, I never believed it was, but it really is. And um, I would say just to seek seek God wholeheartedly, truly weigh out the cost um, of of the lifestyle. Like, is it worth it? I know that living for God and living for Jesus, it doesn't seem very appealing. It's, it's kind of like, no, like, why would you want to do that? But I know that it is so worth it. There's nothing better than this in life. There's nothing better the way I feel from the moment I wake up to the moment I lay my head down. There's nothing better. There's no high that's greater. He fills, and that's what everyone's looking for is to be filled. And it's through Jesus that that you can feel that. Now, Whitney, for, for people who know someone who is in that situation— when it comes to being addicted to drugs mm-hmm. um, um, or just being lost um, and in a helpless or uh, what, what people may consider a helpless place. Uh-huh. What can you, what is a word of encouragement that you can give to those people who are caring and want to help in some way, but don't really know how to go about it? Mm-hmm. I know that prayer is necessary in these situations. And I know that through my my experience, I know I burdened my family greatly with pain and suffering from my actions. I know that they remained steadfast in the Lord through it all. And they placed their faith in God to save me. And they just kept praying for that. And God will come through if you just keep praying and seeking Him. It's hard because you want to you want to love the one that's sick, you know, whoever's with this sickness and this disease of addiction. You want to love them and by loving them, helping them. I think from my experience, the best help that I ever had was kind of like tough love. They didn't provide. I was outside. My family didn't give me money. They didn't support my addictions. And that drove me to such a low place But in that low place was when I met Jesus and everything came up from there. But if maybe if I was being led on, like if I was receiving money for stuff, my addiction may have kept continuing. So I would just say definitely just prayer and trusting in God and but also having to create those boundaries of um, tough love with with the um, one who's who's in addiction as hard as it, it's hard. It's not easy for people to show that, but I do think that's, that's a good way for it to happen. 
Any last words, Whitney, for the people who are watching your testimony right now? I would just like to praise God for everything He's ever done and everything He's going to do. Um, it says in His Word, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. And I've seen that verse lived out, and I've experienced a miracle, and just He's just worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all, and I will just glorify and praise His name every single day. And even when I die, we're all going to be around His throne praising Him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and that is that is who He is, and He's worthy.